Let's talk about a certain British mathematician and scientist and philosopher with anger issues who got really into magic and self-experimentation and tried to destroy the careers of several other scientists, mathematicians, and philosophers. I'm Jawa, and welcome to Stories Behind the Scientists. Today, we're talking about Isaac Newton. quick warning, this episode does contain references to self-experimentation. Nothing particularly graphic, but there is one reference to putting things dangerously near your eyes. No harm came out of it, but if this sounds like something you don't really want to listen to, you might want to miss this episode. I'll also give another warning right before it happens, just to make it easier to skip. Still with us? Excellent. Because Newton's life was way weirder and more interesting than you might think. Born on Christmas Day in 1642, he spent a lot of his early life on a farm, and hated it. When asked to do farm work, he was much more likely to just curl up under a tree and read a book than actually do anything productive. His father had died three months before he was born, and when his mother remarried, he was very much not a fan of her new husband. At one point during his teenage years, he threatened to burn the house down with his mother and stepfather inside. So, yeah, not off to a super wholesome start. He moved through the education system and got his bachelor's degree without a lot of recognition. He was obviously very bright, but he hadn't really done anything that was seen as particularly groundbreaking. It was around this time that he started to develop what would eventually become calculus, which is going to be important and very controversial a little later. After getting his bachelor's degree, he spent two years performing experiments related to optics. One of the most famous of these is using a prism to split a beam of light into a rainbow, and this is also where he really started to experiment on himself. This is the part where I'm bringing up self-experimentation. If you don't want to listen to it, uh, skip about 30 to 40 seconds into the future, and you should be able to avoid it. While he was examining light, and particularly how we perceive it, Newton took a bodkin, which is a blunt needle, and I really want to emphasize it was a blunt needle, not a sharp one, and also, again, he was completely fine afterwards. And he put it between his eye and his eye socket, pushed it as far back as possible, and applied pressure on his eye. He did this to try to learn more about how the eye perceives color, but only really found out that Putting pressure on your eye makes you see spots. Which, you know, I could have told him that if I was alive at the time, and in Britain. But still, the other experiments that he did around this time would really change the field of optics, which is basically the study of light. At the time, it was generally accepted amongst the scientific community that light was normally white, and sometimes you could modify it and change it and mess around with it to turn it into a different colour. What Newton found after over a year of experiments was that white light was actually made up of every possible colour and could be split into those separate colours. While there were some issues with the specific theories he came up with, such as the idea that light is transmitted through an ether that permeates the entire universe, the key concepts that he came up with were incredibly useful. 
But while his capabilities for physics were incredible, something that Newton was not able to handle well was criticism. After publishing his works on light, he received a lot of ridicule and questioning, especially from a man named Robert Hooke. And Newton responded so badly that less than a year after he submitted his paper about optics, he started to move away from the general scientific community. This increased in 1687, when an increasingly antagonistic series of letters with a group of other physicists made him so angry that he had an apparent nervous breakdown and fully isolated himself from the scientific world for about six years. During his isolation, he got really into alchemy and magic, particularly trying to discover the Philosopher's Stone, which could theoretically turn other metals into gold. He handled a lot of dangerous materials during this time, including lead, arsenic, and mercury. But interestingly, a lot of his studies were not seen as particularly different from his other, more science-based studies, at least at the time. Remember that, after all, this was the 1600s. Chemistry was barely even a science at this point in history. And a lot of the information that we take for granted today simply wasn't known back then. And this is really clear in the reception of one of his latest theories about a strange, invisible force that could act over incredible distances and didn't even need to interact with something directly in order to move it. I'm talking, of course, about gravity. He discussed this in his undisputed masterpiece, Philosophiae Naturalis Principia Mathematica, which translates to The Mathematical Principles of Natural Philosophy. There were several truly groundbreaking ideas in it, including his famous Three Laws of Motion, which describe how objects move, and the Law of Universal Gravitation, which basically just says gravity is everywhere. This was massive for the physics world, and garnered him international renown. However, it was the Law of Universal Gravitation that led Robert Hooke, remember him, the guy from earlier who sent some really annoying letters to Newton? Yeah, Hooke claimed that Newton had actually plagiarised some of his work. Now, this claim doesn't have much to stand on, but rather than acknowledging possible plagiarism and referencing Hooke, Newton proceeded to remove every single mention of Hooke or his work from the manuscript. But on top of that, he also refused to publish some of his other works that Hooke had criticised, or become the president of the Royal Society that he and Hooke were both members of, until after Hooke died. But this rage doesn't hold a candle to the hatred he had for one Gottfried William von Leibniz. Now, Newton had figured out calculus before he wrote Principia, but had not properly released anything about it which caused an issue when, in 1684, Leibniz published a paper on calculus. Now, it's generally agreed nowadays that both men arrived at calculus independently, but we all know that Newton was not a fan of being questioned, let alone accused of plagiarism. But accusations were flung on both sides, and Newton, to his credit, managed to avoid another nervous breakdown. 
He did, however, use his position as the president of the Royal Society to conduct an impartial investigation into the issue, then secretly wrote the report from the investigation himself, and then reviewed the report favourably in another journal, doing everything he could to sully Leibniz's name. At least in the case of Robert Hooke, Newton stopped after Hooke died. But Leibniz's death, years before Newton, simply gave him 25 years to continue his maddened rampage against the reputation of the German philosopher, adding furious paragraphs about how dishonest and evil Leibniz was into papers on almost any topic. Isaac Newton was one of the most influential and angriest scientists to ever live. He was the second scientist ever to get knighted, and in his later life he took over the royal mint, put England on the gold standard, and provided a lot of evidence required to catch 28 criminals engaged in counterfeiting. When he died at the age of 84 and his body was examined, his hair had 15 times the normal levels of mercury, likely from his alchemical exploits. But despite his obvious attitude issues and his sort of goth witchcraft phase, he managed to change the world of science unimaginably in terms of the impact and the knock-on impact his science was able to do. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Stories Behind the Scientists. And if you're wondering why I haven't mentioned the story about the apple falling on the head, that's because there's no actual evidence to indicate that it actually happened. Like, it's most likely some sort of urban myth. It's very likely that he saw an apple fell, but to be fair, he probably just saw a lot of examples of gravity.